Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Roto World Football podcast as you know it is the most important podcast in the universe last week's episode with matt waldman was very well received and i love doing it talked about all of the top quarterbacks believe it was five names if you haven't checked it out be sure to do so like i really think it was one of the best episodes we've ever done really good discussion on sam darnold baker mayfield josh rosen josh allen and absolutely lamar jackson as always Matt Waldman brought the heat. Uh, today, we get to start up our off-season conversations with Evan Silva. As you know, we've done these for multiple years. They're always fun. Evan and I are, are friendly. We're cordial to each other, yet we always refuse to talk about prospects. Is that how you see it? Is that how you see it? <laughs> yes, we are just cordial. We are acquaintances, yet we, we never talk about these prospects. Ahead of time, because we, we actually them. had a phone call the other night. Yeah. And during the phone call, we proactively resisted talking about the players, even though I think I asked you about Kalen Balaj like four times during the conversation. Uh, yep. And we absolutely do use the phrase, OK, save it for the podcast. And even right before this, we were going to kind of start talking into it and then completely shut off each other. So this is always fun. And we want to have, you know, kind of these raw conversations with all of you. Um, and you know, meeting of the minds here, uh, you know, where, where, where there are differences in opinion to me is where the answer lies. And there's just two of us, but yeah. again, these are always fun. And Evan, but, but so to just like establish some background. So yeah. if you listen to most podcasts with a guy and another guy going back and forth or a guy and a gal or whatever, um, they are going to, they probably had a conversation beforehand. They probably talked about the players beforehand. Okay. And they're probably, oh, well, this is what I think. Oh, that's interesting. Whatever. You know, we have never done that ever. You know, this is, this is all raw. And I just got done, you know, busting my butt during the NFL slash fantasy football season. Mm -hmm. Josh has gotten more into fantasy recently, but he's always been a college prospects guy. So, and I think that most of the thing, I mean, I've learned a ton from Josh, you know, so I think that my process is probably fairly close to to what josh but but we we do have some differences totally and so we when we talk plenty about of times these the guys past. and when we talk about these guys those differences just in what we're looking for come out and this is one of the big 
um, like conundrums for player evaluation purely off game tape. We don't even know for sure how big or small or how much these players weigh. We don't know how fast they ran in the 40. We are just watching their games. Yeah. And we're not just watching highlights. We're not on YouTube watching highlight reels. We are watching their bad plays as well. And you know what? There are a lot more plays that are unexciting than are exciting. So, and I have always believed that this is really the way to study players is to watch all of their plays, not watch their their YouTube highlight reel with you know ludicrous playing in the background. Watch <laughs> it's, all it's, their plays. Their a, a life plays, hack, Evan, is just plays. to mute every every highlight tape out there. Like that, that's the way to do it. I actually end up watching them like as we go along this process, just to see like if I missed any of the high variance of some of these players and that they're kind of fun, but you're right for this. Obviously we watched some full games, some coaches copy some regular TV copy, and you can see honestly much of the same between the two, except Evan for this running back group that we're talking about five names today. Um, sometimes does the co- coaches copy does help. Um, okay. So just before we get into that, uh, the five names we're going to discuss Saquon Barkley out of Penn State, Darius Geis out of LSU, Ronald Jones out of USC, Sonny Michelle out of Georgia, and Kalen Balage out of Arizona State. And as Evan mentioned, this is going up before the NFL Combine, so sometimes we think a guy's going to be athletic and he's not, and all those things adjust, and that certainly we're going, to, we're going to discuss that more and more as this process goes along. So again, if you enjoy this conversation we're about to have, subscribe. If you really enjoy it, leave us a rate and review, even approach us on Twitter, talk to us on Twitter, and just let us know we did it, because, you know, the more positive feedback Evan gets, the more often he'll do this with me. Uh, So, (laughs) Evan, you cool to start off with Saquon Barkley? All right, I'm just going to jump right in. Uh, I really liked how the Penn State coaching staff used him. Um, he, they really, they fed him on perimeter runs and in the passing game, 54 receptions is not, and I know that that doesn't seem like great to us that are you know focused on the nfl that's a lot of catches for a college running back that's it's a lot it's, of catches. it's a lot they and, were and, and, and we'll get into that as we go along with some of these names yeah. but just for reference he had 102 catches uh and the other names on this list i don't think approached except kellen balage because he was a four-year player i think he had 82 so the penn state coaching staff was they absolutely diagnosed saquon barkley's strengths and weaknesses and I think they did a, a tremendous job. By the way, coaches at the college level are better, better than uh, coaches at the NFL level at doing things like this. They got him in space. They put him on the edge. Uh, I think that they did a great job of just realizing his strengths and weaknesses. Uh, he was an advanced route runner. He ran downfield pass routes. He hmm. lined up in the slot frequently. I saw him catch a touchdown bomb on a slot route. Uh, they Michigan. actually juggled, but he, he still pulled it in against Michigan. He actually dropped a, a wheel route earlier for, for a big gain in that same game. When I watched him play, he reminded me of a bigger LaShawn McCoy because Saquon Barkley's listed like in the 230s. Yeah. LaShawn McCoy was like 208 coming out of pit. Um, but I thought that, he, that, that Saquon Barkley looked like a combination of LaShawn McCoy and David Johnson. And I remember evaluating David Johnson poorly and – what I like to try to do is like learn from my mistakes. And I was not nearly high enough on David Johnson coming out of Northern Iowa. The NFL wasn't either, by the way, you know, the, the Cardinals wanted Amir Abdullah over him. He went what, like late third round. 
Uh, I mean, no one was high enough on him, but I was way too low on him. And so I'm trying to learn from those mistakes. Saquon Barkley has a lot of the same quote unquote weaknesses that David Johnson did coming out of Northern Iowa and is even more explosive laterally, which is where the LaShawn McCoy comparison comes in. I think that um, sometimes his creativity as a runner worked against him. He was clearly the the focus of the Penn State offense. Correct. And so he felt like he had to put a lot on his back. And so I've seen like negative run stats on him that, that don't look great. Uh, but man, I think that he is sensational. Yeah. Uh, his, his footwork, his elusiveness, his quickness, his size, his, um, I, I don't, his receiving ability is just off the charts. I don't think that he is the type of back that you want to give the ball to over and over and over again in the fourth quarter when you're up by 17 points. I don't think that he's that type of back, but I do think that he is the type of back that gives you a competitive advantage because of all of his, he's like the perfect back for today's game. Yeah. I, I, I agree with a lot of what you just said and really what I should done, should have done. And I'll do this more often as we move forward with these prospects is kind of give a synopsis of where they are at this moment. As you all know, and it's easy for Saquon Barkley, right? He's being mentioned as a top five pick. And it almost seems like it's set in stone at this point. He's a top five pick. He's a three-year player at Penn State, was a focal point for many of those seasons at Penn State. And as you all know, Penn State had some woeful offensive lines, um, especially in the running game, passing game as well, um, that he played with. Only a three-year player there. But as Evan mentioned, to me... A lot, the foundation of his evaluation, a lot of it is his athleticism. And you mentioned David Johnson, 93rd percentile composite score coming out of school that was just behind Amir Abdullah, who had a 97th percentile uh, in the 2015 draft in that class. I wouldn't be surprised to see Saquon Barkley match that, be in that same area. And you see it often when he's creating yards on his own. And you'll hear me say this a lot during this draft process. But the difference between good backs and great backs are the good ones pick up the yards blocked for them and the great ones create yards on their own. And we absolutely know, Evan, right, that Saquon does that second part. I'm not so sure if he always gets the first part done. I will say like 90% of the time, he does, right? 90% of the time, if there's a crease, he'll hit it and he'll pick up a few yards. Also, Evan, if there's a three-yard loss in terms of a disruptive defensive tackle getting the backfield immediately or a linebacker blitzing and no one accounts for him, he can turn that negative three-yard loss into a two-yard gain as well. And those are just hidden yards all over the place. And I think that those, to me, matter more than his four, five, or six games of 90-plus rushing yards um, in his college in, in, in this past season, more so than how many, obviously, 100-plus uh, yard rushing games he had. The best way to tell if someone has not watched Saquon Barkley is if you see them write that he's a power back because he's not a power back, okay? He is David Johnson plus, and he is a versatile receiving back. You can, you can line him up anywhere on the field. He will make guys miss. He, I've, ne I've never saw him. I think I watched four games. I never saw him get tackled hard. Like, like interesting, once. like because he he attacks the edges, right? Like he'll attack the edges yeah. of an offensive of a of a defensive tackle, defensive lineman, linebacker, what have you. But here here's my question with that, Evan. We keep bringing up David Johnson's name, 
But David Johnson didn't start until like the what? The final six weeks of his rookie year. And part of that was obviously playing for Bruce Arians, playing in an offense that maybe he wasn't needed upon or, or needed immediately, and also being a third-round pick. And that obviously Saquon won't have kind of that ability to sit and wait if he needs to. Uh, I mean, David Johnson was probably like a little less advanced than, than Saquon Barkley. Remember, David Johnson converted from wide receiver. Um, the Cardinals didn't even know how to use him. They actually didn't even want him in the draft. They, again, they wanted right. to draft Amir Abdullah. Uh, he remember how good he was in On the preseason return. <laughs> he was a freak show. I was like, I remember being skeptical of him as just like a, a combine superstar coming out of Northern Iowa. And then I remember watching him in the preseason. I was like, Oh my goodness gracious. Right. Right. Because it, it was clear at that instance, that this guy was a superlative talent. And yes, did they make him sit? They had Andre Ellington when he was in his prime. He was still a solid player at that time. He was a really high fantasy pick that year. Yeah, I, I wasn't on board with that. But he was a high fantasy pick that year. And uh, that was back when Stefan Taylor would, would get hype at, at times. And, they uh, and then Chris they Johnson committed too. to David Johnson late in the season. Remember? And they used him in the playoffs against the Panthers. Right. Ripped him up. Uh, and, you know, and he Evan, was like the best it's, running, it's running back in football in 2016. And it's interesting that we brought up that name once again, and I'm sure many will as we go along. But you know that like those third and 12 situations that the Cardinals are in and they use David Johnson um, as a receiver and they kind of ask all of their wide receivers to go up and block kind of like a deeper screen yeah. and they get the ball in David Johnson's hands. I saw the same thing with Penn State and Saquon Barkley, like the same exact play. And then you talk about other instances with him as a receiver i actually thought at penn state they used a lot of picks and rub routes for him and especially in that michigan game if you can watch that one um they tried in a number of instances to do that and then he obviously beat them deep as well i mean his one-on-one ability in space is outstanding his athleticism his balance he doesn't necessarily run with power and evan i am gonna say it like i saw him do the hokey pokey in the hole like he put his right foot in and then right foot out, and then he turned it all about, and then lost like three yards in the backfield. But that happens, right? To me, the ones that are so focused on that, right? And there are going to be some evaluators that really get focused on those negative plays because he's being propelled as this perfect prospect, which he's not. Um, to me, when you get too focused on that, then you are losing sight of the entire picture, which is a very, very good talent. And instead, you're letting these few, few plays cloud your overall judgment if you are knocking him down outside of the number one running yeah. back heading into the draft. Yeah, and, and, and you know what you probably did is you probably missed on David Johnson, and you probably missed on Will Fuller, and you probably missed on Evan Ingram because you were focusing on the weaknesses of players as opposed to what they bring, how they win. Love it. I, I mean, look... Last we talked about Evan Ingram in this very podcast last year. Will Fuller is just hashtag big plays, and Saquon certainly does that. So now my question to you to close out the Saquon conversation, Evan: Are you on board with taking a running back in the top five? I mean, that's a totally different conversation. It is, and I would lean toward no. Yeah, uh, but here's the thing: he's much different from Leonard Fournette, who went number four overall last year, of course. Right. He's a complete, he's like the polar opposite player of Leonard Fournette. Um, 
And we are going to talk about a player next who's a little bit more similar to Leonard Fournette. Yeah. And I and think that it will be a better conversation regarding this next player. With Saquon Barkley, though, I think that, oh, man. And if I, I could throw know, in one if, more name, if, too, if, because... If the Colts take him at three, yeah. I think they should have taken Bradley Chubb. Yeah. But I think that, like, if the Bucks take him at seven, I think I'd be real fine with that. I think I'd be fine with that. And we also need to throw in, obviously, Ezekiel Elvitt's name because he was just a two, couple years ago as well, and he was a top-five selection. Um, and to me, Ezekiel Elliott is like a what-you-see-is-what-you-get type on the field in terms of if there are yards created, he is going to pick up those yards, and he also will pick up yards after contact, right? Like he, his eyes and his feet are in sync, and that's just what he does. He's so good in that area. Meanwhile... I think Saquon can kind of create a little more in spectacular highlight reel fashion um, in those plays as well. Zeke was a great passing down back coming out, and I think Saquon is as well, but kind of in, in somewhat different ways. Let's now go to Darius Geis, Leonard Fournette's former teammate at LSU. Uh, Geis finally had the full workload this year. He had it in portions in 2016 because, as we know, Leonard Fournette dealt with ankle injuries. Then... As it so happens, Darius Geis dealt with his own injury this year. I was told it, it was listed as like a knee by reporters. I was told it was just a really deep thigh bruise that they just had no idea how to treat. And so he missed practice time, missed some playing time during that middle portion of the season because of it. But then you see him once he bounces back in the later portion of his games that you watch, like against Ole Miss, where he is just electric and looks fully healthy. And at this point, uh, Evan, he is fully healthy as we head into the NFL Combine. He was a runner when I watched him play that delivers blows. He delivers body blows. He's incredibly determined. He runs hard and with velocity. He's a relentless player. Um, I wrote down at one point that he might be a rich man's Jordan Howard okay. uh, because his passing game skills were a question mark and he needs pass protection work. And by the way, I think that Jordan Howard's a really good runner. Um, Darius Geis did have... Uh, he had a great pass protection uh, blitz pickup early against Alabama uh, to result in a deep completion. Uh, went as a runner, I thought that he was a, a classic old school pile moving power back. Lowers his shoulder, delivers blows. Totally. Um, I thought he ran a little bit like Zeke Elliott. Interesting. I thought that he maximized every run. He gained tough yards. He was great in short yardage. He was a goal line hammer. He ran mostly at a shotgun, but some under center. And I felt like watching, this is just a total feel thing. I don't have any stats to back it up. I felt like he was a more comfortable runner when he was running from under center as opposed to, and they ran a lot of run plays at a shotgun. But I thought that he looked more comfortable when he was running from under center. But ultimately, he's an old school tackle breaker. He runs with a style that can wear down a defense. Uh, he lowers the boom. When he did get the ball in space and in the passing game, he could hurt people. Yeah. He was violent with the ball in his hands. I think he's on the Thomas Rawls, Marshawn Lynch spectrum of player. I just have to figure out where he is on that style. Does that make sense? Like he, he is one of those Seahawks type runners that their coaches just talk over and over and over about finishing runs, right? 
winning on final after contact. i watched uh baker mayfield if it makes you feel any better after i watched baker mayfield i wrote that he's on the jeff garcia <laughs> russell wilson spectrum yeah so no. that's leaving us a lot of room for error but at least i mean jeff garcia was a long-term starter in the nfl and by throwing out thomas Rawls' name like i'm not being negative here i'm just saying like he is on that spectrum of that type of player where as evan eloquently said he is, Darius Geis is a grinder. He's a type who falls forward on final contact. Uh, and exactly like what we discussed with Saquon, where he can turn a negative three-yard run into a two-yard run, I saw Darius Geis do that exact same thing. And again, when you watch LSU, everything goes back to they have no th- passing game. Ever, ever, ever. And it sucks to watch LSU play football. I hate it every time I do because all it is – is seven, eight players in the box. And then when the quarterback tries to throw the football, it absolutely does not work. So it's all on Darius Geis. And it was for most of his final season when he was healthy. Um, I don't think he's a big play guy, Evan, necessarily. Uh, mm. But he, he, like I said, is a grinder. He can pick up chunk gains with that. You know, those four-yard runs, those six-yard runs, those 13-yard runs, and then goes mm. back to that three-yard runs. And it helps you move the chains in that manner. But if we're talking again, and we have to, comparing Darius Geis and Saquon Barkley, you have your flash in Barkley that can absolutely change the course and the scope of the game versus Darius Geis, who will really help you move the chains and pick up exactly what is blocked for you and then some. Because to me, again, Evan, he does fall forward on final contact to pick up those hidden one, two, or three-yard runs. Yeah, I loved his game against Alabama. Um, I think that and he only had like fifty-six yeah. yards in that game or something, and and actually against Alabama, that's that's quite a bit. Oh, I didn't. I had. I didn't even look at the box score stats for any of the dudes that I watched. By yeah. the way, just straight watching them. Um, I felt like again, totally feel from watching him that he might have more passing game potential than his box score stats suggested. I mean, I did look at his like final season stats. I just didn't look at his like game by games. He had 18 receptions was the most in a single season. Which is actually a lot for an LSU running back. Yeah. And he had 32 total in three years of college football. Yeah. I mean, it's not good relative to the field, right? but it's actually 18 catches in one season is actually kind of a lot. I think Leonard Fournette had like 26 or something or 20 in the 20s. Right. Um, his final year at LSU. I, I got the feeling that he that he has potential in the passing game. Now, I've, I've made this mistake in the past of seeing a guy function in the passing game, think, thinking that he was functional in that area, and then kind of assuming that the coaching staff that inherited – that got him in the NFL – would give him more chances in the passing game. Best descri- best example is Derrick Henry. Yeah. They don't like to use him in the passing game. Um, so I, you know, I don't, I don't really know. I, that, but, but that more is importantly than for this, upside for sure. More importantly than than possibly catching passes is pass protection as well. And I'm not saying that either one of these guys are 100 in that area. But I think Geis and Barkley both absolutely show enough where you can work with what they have and what they've shown, a willingness and, you know, some aggression in that area to stick their he- their helmet, their head in the fray and pick up a yeah. blitzer or pick up a free man and give their quarterback an extra tick. And, I, I again, I think both show that, and that's exactly what coaches will want. 
Uh, yeah, well. I think that in this first group of this this first batch of RBs that we're we're talking about, all the all the RBs I thought were pretty solid in pass protection in their opportunities. The only one that I didn't think was very good played at USC. We'll talk about him soon. Well, then let's move on to Ronald Jones, Evan. Uh, Ronald Jones, I don't know like that much about him. I wasn't look as much as I spend time on fantasy now. You know that kind of takes away from me understanding these prospects heading into the season. Um, and obviously many thought that this was Sam Darnold's team and it was, but when I watched Ronald Jones, I saw a player who could stick his foot in the dirt and get upfield. And again, maximize space. Evan, we talk about zone running schemes a lot. Like every team in the NFL somewhat run, runs some zone concepts, but I think if you put Ronald Jones in a heavy zone scheme where he's either going to bend it, cut it, bounce it, uh, I, I think that that's where he's going to succeed the most. Um, what do you think? Man, I went back and forth on this player a lot, and I, I just feel like every time that I watch him, I like just need to watch more. Um, and I'm, I'm up to four games at this point. These are my notes on him. I wrote, poor man's Tevin Coleman, whose game is all about upfield burst and acceleration, needs a lane, solid maybe low-end NFL starter if he improves in the passing game, decisive downhill interior runner good low pad level not a particularly elusive back too many too many just got what's blocked runs no no frills not flashy not a tackle breaking power back just ran into the pile a lot and went down continually ran into the backs of his blockers not a pile pusher so many ran into the pile runs very few Mm. cutback runs to create does he lack vision question mark Seemed like the USC offensive line wasn't very good, created very little push in the run game, primarily ran on a shotgun, highly impressive but, acceleration and burst. These are his calling cards, but he needs a crease. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree that his acceleration where he, again, makes that cut in the backfield, puts his foot in the dirt, then gets up the field and takes advantage of that crease is his strong suit. And you see it often when you know a closing linebacker or a closing safety thinks they have him either to the edge or on his cut and then they are a half step too late and he's gone and that changes it from having to beat that first contact to avoiding that first contact and then causing and and culminating in big plays and he had a number of those so by your notes Evan I'm taking it you don't agree with the countless Jamal Charles comparisons that have been thrown out for Ronald Jones? Well, I know exactly why people compared him to, to Jamal Charles, because he wore number 25 and he had, like, long hair. The, the aesthetic comparison. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have the lateral agility and the create the create the the ability to create of Jamal Charles. Jamal Charles is a, was a Hall of Fame talent. Um, what, the highest Ronald yards per Jones, carry, I like, ever? Is a... Ronald Jones, I think, is like a second-slash-third-round pick, a big play runner. Uh, I think that he can get better. I, I really question him in the passing game. I mean, have, have people been talking about this at all? Um, yeah, they have. I mean, okay, so he had 32 receptions, which is the same number, I believe, as I just said for Darius Geis. But the most 32 in one... catches in 40 college games. Yeah, and 14 in one year was his most. And I thought that he was the worst pass blocking back of – these RBs that we're going to discuss here. We're discussing five RBs, Barkley, Geis, Ronald Jones, and you'll have to wait for the, the final two. 
Um, and I actually have it in my notes here, Evan, that I, I do question if he's dependent on blocking, like you just mentioned. But again, it's it's one of those to me, Evan. Like if he lands in the best situation of these five, I could totally see him as being the most productive one, right? Like because he does have that stop and start. Well, not stop and start ability, I should say, but he does have that straight line again bend, bang, bounce, or cut ability to just take it to the house and create these big plays. But in so many of them, he's not contacted. He's not touched. And you see that all the time. Like we saw that Bryce Love this year at Stanford who decided not to come into this draft. Um, Like his, his monster starts the season. I went back and watched them. And like it was, you could fit six Bryce Loves in his hole. You can do that a lot of times with Ronald Jones as well. And yes, he's absolutely taking advantage of them, but we know that that gets more difficult. I will say he kind of has that slalom skier mentality too in between the tackles. Uh, he's not afraid to go in between the tackles here. You know, he's not just one of these smaller backs who wants to bounce it to the outside. He will bounce it um, between the tackles and, and work between the linebackers and stuff like that, which, which I obviously like to see. Man, I, I didn't see him bounce it very much. I felt like he, and again, I, continually think I need to watch more. I probably need to go up to like six or eight games with Ronald Jones because I just still don't feel like I figured out, even though figured him out, even though it probably seems like I, I, I sound like I probably yeah. think I figured him out. Uh, but I did not see him creating. I did not see him finding any cutback lanes. I saw him running into the backs of blockers constantly. His big playability is undeniable. Um, I'm just, I'm going to keep watching him. Um, Uh, I mean, a a guy that we, you know, we had our question mark. We both liked Alvin Kamara last year. Right. And I mean, I had him super high in my dynasty rankings, especially after he went to New Orleans. Correct. It's going to be about landing spot. It's going to be about landing spot. And And, and not to compare the two players at all, because we're not. But but just based on the pre, I mean, so much changes. Think about like where we are in the calendar. Like the combine hasn't even happened yet. And just our perception of these guys does change because we're, we're individuals. We're just people. Um, now, I'm not saying that you'll ever say, well, he doesn't run into the back of his offensive line because that's what he does. But I, hopefully everyone out there understands what I'm saying with, with how um, fluid sometimes these evaluations are. Uh, let's go to Sony Michelle. Evan, based on your tweets, because I was doing some research just on that, seeing what you posted since you and I never talked about these pro- prospects, I have a feeling I like Sony Michelle much more than you do. Uh, you probably do. He's another guy that, you know, after I see respected people like, or people that I respect, uh, like you and Graham Barfield, who I yeah. hope, hopefully you'll have him back on the show. Yeah, it was great last um, year. By the way, Graham loves him. Loves him. I mean, I was this DMing. Is, this is good Graham. news for uh, me, Evan. Yeah. Uh, I think that you guys are higher on him than me. Now, I wouldn't say that I'm low on him. Uh, I thought that I saw some Willis McGahey from him at times. Like I could totally see that. His, the way that he like runs with his, he has like kind of like crazy legs, like crazy legs. He's uh, animated. He's like an animated yeah, runner. Very at times. animated. It's it, like D'Angelo Williams against, was kind of an animated runner as well in Carolina. Yep. Yeah. I watched him against Notre Dame and Alabama uh, he was a quick-footed space back. He shared time with Nick Chubb. I thought he showed great burst and acceleration. He runs with skinny but kind of crazy legs. 
uh, inconsistent ability to create power. He did fall forward and finish runs. I thought that at times he looked like a Tevin Coleman style runner. Uh, he was, I mean, sometimes he looked like an elusive juker. Uh, at other at other times, I thought that he uh, showed elusive ability. Sometimes I thought that he crumpled too easily on contact. Um, I thought that sometimes he had stiff hips, and the way that he created his elusiveness was purely with his like long, crazy legs. Um, but again, you know, he finished his runs. He ran with a lot of pop. Uh, he was a physical downhill runner, but I thought he was straight lineish at times. Uh, he had a bunch of great runs between the tackles against Alabama. Again, these games that you can see players running, running backs running against Alabama, running against a bunch of NFL players, those games really stand out to me. And that was one of the first games that I watched of Sony Michelle. He only had nine catches his final season at Georgia. Yeah. And Dane Brugler noted that he had one of the highest fumble rates in this class. Which is not so, good. Which is really not good. <laughs> so while I think that he is a more talented all-around runner than Tevin Coleman, I think that he may settle into a very similar NFL role where he's getting like 10 to 14 touches per game. I could totally see it from a role perspective, but I think that their games are quite different. Um, I was harsh on Tevin Coleman coming out of school. He's probably exceeded my expectations, not necessarily because he doesn't have the negatives that I thought he did, but because maybe his negatives aren't as meaningful in the role he's put into. Does that make sense? Because like with Tevin Coleman, we always, talk, we always talk about his balance and we've absolutely seen him completely trip over himself with clear grass ahead of him. Um, however, we know that when he was with Cal Shanahan, putting him in that situation allows all of his positives to become absolutely outstanding. Um, but we, again, we haven't seen him as a full-time lead back with Sonny Michelle. Like you mentioned, he played with Nick Chubb basically throughout his entire career. Uh, despite Chubb getting hurt, there was some talk that Michelle was going to declare earlier. He didn't, he decided to come back to school. Uh, I really like Sonny Michelle. I mentioned D'Angelo Williams name. I think that they are very, Similar runners. Wow. I really do. And I know that they probably will chime in at different sizes. Did you get a chance to watch his Wake Forest game? Uh, I will put that. I'm going to write that down. No, not Wake Forest. Excuse me. It was against Vanderbilt. Same colors. Whatever. Vanderbilt is the game you need to watch. There were times, Evan, where he would completely bowl over one safety coming down and then immediately evade the second safety. The combination he has, to me, of speed and power that equals big playability Mm. might be second best in this class behind Saquon Barkley. And he might have more power than Saquon Barkley. Evan, I'll go out on a limb and say this. Again, I love Saquon Barkley, right? I think heading into the draft, he's easily the number one running back in this class. But if there were another name that in the realm of possibility could ultimately be a better back than Saquon Barkley. I think it's Sony Michelle. Wow. Okay. And again, maybe be, it's this be, one be, Vanderbilt game. That's... Up, because he beat up on the SEC B league <laughs> Vanderbilt. No, I'm just saying that that game displayed, and that's what I'm going to in my mind. Um, that game displayed the completeness 
of a 20 touchback. I don't know if he had 20 touches in that game. I just know he was electric. He was phenomenal, both um, in evading, in creating, but also in power and picking up difficult yards as well. Again, that was the complete package game, and maybe that's obviously kind of uh, infiltrating my mind a little bit, But and I maybe made that statement a bit too early in the draft process. But again, if one is going to emerge later on three, four years from now, I think it could be Sonny Michel. Have yet to see a single Vanderbilt player on offense or defense look like a draftable prospect for 2018. You want to talk about Kalen Balazs? Let's talk about Kalen Balazs. Kalen Balazs is a bit of a conundrum. Kalen Balazs started his career as a edge rusher. Evan, did you know that? Uh, I did not. At, I believe that's him, and that's not his teammate, Demario Richard. I believe it's Kalen Balash. In fact, he split time there a couple seasons ago. Uh, somewhat finally became a a full-time ball carrier in the past couple seasons, if not just this season. And all expectations are for him to be an outstanding combine warrior, workout warrior, and and put out one of the best workouts um, of the running back group. Do you think that that athleticism, potential athleticism is, is really what we're going off right now translates onto the field? So there were two Chris Henry's uh, yeah. <laughs> in the NFL in, in, in the last decade. I know okay? where you're going with this. The, the good Chris Henry played, he was a third receiver for the Bengals behind TJ Hushmanzada and Chad Johnson. He's Josh Reynolds. He was awesome. Josh Reynolds. He was awesome. We, we hope that Josh Reynolds can, can reach that level. And he, hey, by the way, when he got playing time last year, when Robert Woods missed time, he, he capitalized. By, by the way, Evan, after this podcast, I might have some information to share with you. But let's go ahead. Ooh, awesome. Um, so there was another Chris Henry. Do you remember the other Chris Henry? I do. Arizona running back who could do nothing but run in a straight line. Jeff Fisher, draft pick. <laughs> And he fumbled a lot. Yep. And he was really fast. And he looked great in a t-shirt and shorts. And, man, Kalen Balazs is a tough dude to, to look at. Because there were sometimes I was like, man, this guy is like one of the most talented RBs in this class. Right. I thought that he, yeah, the, the first thing in my notes is Christine Michael, question mark. Yeah. Holy looks the part and is clearly off the charts explosive for his size. Hop steps before inside runs like Steven Jackson at times. Woo boy, slow to the corner, could not outrun linebackers around the edge. Did you? So I'm slow guessing that's moving. from the UCLA game because I saw that exact same thing. Yes. So slow moving horizontally and laterally, clearly more comfortable north south. Again, yep. Really explosive downhill north-south between the tackles. Legit consistent chunk gains between the tackles. Dominant inside runner, I wrote at one point. Truly and, dominant. And if we Ran with just... power between the tackles, power to break tackles and push the pile. Completely buried on every single run to the edge yeah. slash perimeter. No ability to move laterally. Do you, do you think, because we know he's a very good athlete, do we think that, that those outside runs means and his lack of production on them means a, a lack of comfort, a lack of decisiveness in that area. And that means that his athleticism can kind of come through via his game 
in those inside runs like you just mentioned? Uh, I think that even as an in, as an inside runner, and he was very talented as an inside runner, he was also very inconsistent. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have read, after I watched him, a bunch. I mean, I watched uh, games from even two, 2016. Um, I read a bunch of scouting reports that said that he looked soft. Uh, Tony Pauline said that he uh, plays like – Play, or looks like Tarzan plays like Jane. Yeah. Uh, which is an old Joel Bushbaum quote. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you know, Vernon Golston. I mean, we've had plenty of players over the years that, that have met that, that quality. I did not see that necessarily. Um, but I, I would definitely agree that he's inconsistent, incomplete. His career production was pathetic, never reached five yards per carry in a college season. I mean, you at least want to get, you know, like over five yards per carry. Um, and then he caught a ton of passes in college. If you watch him in 2017, he was like a non-factor in the passing game. Yeah. You flip on Oregon in 2016, he's making like downfield catches. He's one of the hardest RBs that I've ever had to evaluate. I thought he was just so interesting though, because you can clearly see that the potential is there. So let me throw a few hypotheticals at you, okay? Um, again, 82 receptions as a collegiate running back, but 44 of those, so over half, were in 2016, as you just mentioned. Um, as an inside runner, Evan, I see him like 80% Leonard Fournette, like 90% Leonard Fournette at times in terms okay. of kind of that style. But I also, like as exactly what you just said, he might be the well. He is the most high variance of this five that we are talking about, and most likely that means the most high variance in this class. Um, so what if? Okay, hypothetical. What if he goes to the combine and tests like a ninety third percentile athlete, a ninety fifth percentile athlete, right? Just top end of the absolute peak of the spectrum. Okay, um, we already know that he has that receiving ability, like you mentioned. In 2016, does that mean if we add all those things up that he's potentially this year's David Johnson? Oh boy! I, do, do you I get where my thought process went with that? Like, I know that's not fair, and all these guys are individuals. But if we're picking up different pieces of the puzzle, where you know he might not be comfortable at this moment, just like David Johnson wasn't coming out of school, he needed a bit of time, right? We had questions of David Johnson coming out that he was more receiver than running back but he was a top-end athlete, very, very top-end athlete, and didn't have to be counted on immediately and then ultimately fail immediately. Could that same thing happen here with Kalen Balash? I would obviously lean no because those rarely come around, but yeah. I think that's an interesting conversation to have as we move along because, again... I agree with you. The, the highest... And you know what? Go ahead. And you, know, and you know what? He's a better inside runner coming out of college than David Johnson was. Yeah, I agree. Um, David Johnson had a 6.82 three cone. Oh, I mean, he's a total freak. Kalen Balaj is going to struggle in the three cone. I think he's going to be big. I think he's going to be fast in a straight line. Yeah. I don't know how he'll jump. You know, I've never seen him jump. He'll probably jump high. Uh, I think he'll probably have a great broad jump. Uh, I think he's going to struggle in the shuttle and the three cone drills. That, that would be my prediction for his combine. I could be totally wrong. No, you but, know, but, but it, it, it's so odd to me that, and again, this is all hypothetical, that we don't know exactly what type of an athlete he is. 
but that he can look athletic or be perceived as athletic. And then those outside runs against UCLA, like it stopped for a one yard loss. And it's not like there was instant penetration, right? He just like the linebackers outran him to the spot, to the point. And that's a bit worrisome to me. And we saw it all the time against UCLA. Absolutely. Um, I mean, he was, I think in the UCLA game, it was very clear that he is, he needs to be a North-South decisive, you know, he needs to be put in decisive situations. You don't want him trying to beat linebackers to the edge. It's not that he has, it's not, I don't think it's that he lacks athletic ability. Right. I think that it's, he, he lacks agility and uh, the ability to move horizontally as well as he moves east-west. Or, I mean, I'm sorry, not east-west, but north-south. Could he succeed in the LeGarrette Blunt, mike Gillisley role? Oh, man. I mean, that's a great question. Well, and there's only one of those in the NFL, right, in terms of that role, he, really. He can catch the football. Mike Gillis, neither Mike Gillisley nor LeGarrette Blunt has ever shown the ability to catch the football. But but you get what I'm what I'm asking, right? Like it's I do. The, the I do. goal line back is not necessarily the same goal line back as it was 10 years ago, other than kind of that type of player in the NFL right now. Do you um, think that his inside runs were consistent? No. Oh, I don't think any part of his game okay. is consistent at this moment. Yeah. Um, but again, probably the most high variance back uh, in this class. Evan, uh, that was a very concise 46 minutes. <laughs> um, thank you all so much for tuning in. Again, if you like this podcast at all, be sure to subscribe. If you already subscribed, rate and review. Let us know at Evan Silva, at Josh Norris on Twitter, what you thought, if you enjoyed it. Uh, drop us a note and enjoy the combine. I'll be on later this week, most likely with Sigmund Bloom. Talk about some more prospects and just kind of how the process is approached in general. Those are always great conversations because Sigmund's a smart dude. And again, if you forgot to listen, listen to Matt Waldman's podcast last week. And on Roto World, we'll have plenty of NFL Combine coverage to come. So for Evan, I'm Josh. We'll talk to you all soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... The charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Hello. Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.